0: don't really know how I'm going to preach after that, but I'm going to try. <clears throat> and great, thank you for sharing. Mom, I love you. Um, and so fitting, especially um, just the providence of God in my mother-in-law's life, as that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. So let me pray for our time And then we're just going to jump into the word. So Father, we come before you. We thank you for uh, just the gift of your son. We pray uh, in the midst of all that is happening that you remind us of that providential work that uh, we've so clearly seen in in, uh, Nancy's life. And we pray now that you would uh, do that same work in our hearts this morning and remind us of the perfect gift of Your Son, Jesus. Your name, amen. So, good morning. (laughs) Um, We'll be in Proverbs, and admittedly, this is more a kind of topical, expositional uh, sermon. And um, when Tim asked me to preach today, I admittedly uh, struggled with what to bring before you. You know, there, there are a lot of things to talk about in today's uh, culture and society, and I uh, didn't know where God wanted me to go. And I prayed about it. I asked many people, I sat with Tim multiple times. Um, and while talking to people and hearing what's going on in their lives, talking to some of you, what's going on in your lives, talking about what's going on in our church the word providence came up for me. Um, I had already done some research and some work in in the Proverbs concerning providence, so I did some tweaking and more studying, and um, we're here today. So, as I talked with people and as I looked upon the current state of things, the chaos of life that has so quickly entangled me, my friends, and my family, and I'm sure you, I have been left with more questions than answers. Namely, I have had this feeling of uh, doubt and worry and confusion. And if you're like me, then I think that you may be feeling it also. The political, social, economic, spiritual, and ecclesiastical dysfunction of life has gripped me to my core. I mean, you... Briefly... I'm, pandemically, we look at what has gone on. This, this virus, COVID-19, has swept through our nation and the world, destroying everything in its wake and killing friends and family members without any remorse. Economically, some of us, if not all of us, have been in, impacted by the loss of business opportunities and jobs and wondering how we're going to make it to the next day. Families losing their livelihoods entirely. Racially, I've not lived in more, any other time in my life, my you know, short 29 years, where we've been so racially divided. Spiritually, we're being bombarded with the reality of ideologies that would take the gospel message and distort it. And we would believe those things to be objective truth when they are not. Recently, I got a phone call from my mom, and some of you guys have seen this in the prayer emails that go out. And she told me that my grandmother uh, has cancer again. She had survived breast cancer, but she has now stage 4 lung cancer. And she told me there's nothing they can do, really. She's going to go through chemo and stuff, but it is a lot of palliative care. And so in all this, and because of the turbulent nature of life's misfortunes, it has brought up the question in me, and maybe you, again, if you're like me, is anyone actually in charge around here? But I was brought to my knees by the proverbs. And when I was searching them out, I read these. Proverbs 16:1, "The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answers of the tongue is from the Lord." Proverbs 16:9: "The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps." Proverbs 19:21: "Many are the plans in the, man, the mind of a man." but it it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand forever. Proverbs 20, 24, a, a man's steps are from the Lord. How can a man understand his own way? And Proverbs 21, verse 1, which is our main point the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. It turns wherever he wills. It is that last verse that struck me so deeply and hardest. This is the point, and I think the Scripture speaks clearly on this throughout beginning to end, that the king's heart is indeed a stream of water in the hand of, a Lord, of the Lord. I love this picture where we see, painted here by Solomon, In the same way that a farmer digs out trenches to direct water to his crops, the Lord directs kings, governors, presidents, and all people for His holy and glorious purposes. We're challenged to remember that indeed, yes, someone is in charge. His name is Jesus. So for our time, I want to unpack the idea of God's providence for us by threading a line through the Proverbs and all through Scripture and show that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. So I have a couple words that will kind of help us direct our time as I think through providence. First is clarity. Second is a, a mystery. And lastly is Certainty. So first, clarity. We look at clarity. The pictures here given to us in the Proverbs about God's providence is painted all throughout Scripture. You see, this verse is not isolated to the corners of the book. In fact, we read a handful of Proverbs that speak specifically to the text and the idea of God's exact characteristics, specifically His providence. No matter where we go, whether the Psalms, whether the Proverbs, the Prophets, the Torah, or even the end of the book to Revelation, we see the divine nature of God's providential work. God is purposing to do His divine will because, of course, the King's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. We read this earlier in Proverbs 19.21. Many are the plans and the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Or even in Isaiah 40, 21 to 23, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness." The universe was sustained by Him and is sustained by God. All things are sovereignly under His feet. Everything is providentially sustained by Him And our very breaths. Yes, the breath that you breathe in your seat now is completely dependent by the mere working of His will and the fingertips of Him. This God is sustaining all things. He's operating and orchestrating everything to the counsel of His divine purposes, which are always good. And for His glory, He preserves all living things, bringing them to their appointed end so that He will be glorified and that it would be good for us. How is it that God does this? Charles Bridges I like his exposition of the book of Proverbs. He says this. I'm going to make you guys think this morning. I know it's the first service. You guys are like, I came to the first service not to think. But he says this, Inert matter, he acts by physical force. In brute animals by instinct and appetite. In intelligent beings by motives suited to their faculties. And in his redeemed people, by the influence of his grace. His grace. It's why we can read things when we have when we come up to prayers that are unanswered when we come up to like I said the ecclesiastical dysfunction of life, we can read God's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you. It is. My power is made perfect in your weakness. This reality is often met with our resistance and unbelief. This happens because we live in a culture and a society, both evangelical and secular, where we foster big, and I'll even say, huge ideas of man and small and insignificant views of God. This happens so much that children are being raised without understanding their origin. That they have no true understanding of the narrative of redemption in their lives and don't take the time to even think on their ultimate destiny. There is an identity crisis. This identity, identity crisis is among us where these same kids have no answers to foundational life questions, like, who am I? What am I? Where do I belong? Where am I going? And in all this, the Bible is abundantly clear. The providence of God is not causality. It's not fatalism. It's not even deism, as if God made all things, looks on His creation, and then is kind of like, I didn't see that coming. And he's completely hands-off and separate from it. It's not pantheism either, where God is confused by his own creation, and in, in itself, it kind of contains him. That that tree out there is God, or that chair you're sitting on is God. It does, it's not any of that. So does this clarity matter to the providence of God? It does. It matters. This is what happens with Paul and the Athenians in Acts 17. If you guys are familiar with this story, where Paul is talking with them and saying, oh, okay, I see what you're doing. See, the Athenians, they weren't convinced that God was it, that He was the creator of all things. So, what's he, what do they do? They make little you know, carvings out of other gods. They, they cover their bases of all types of different gods. And he says, I see what you guys are doing. Y'all have these tiny statues and temples for all these gods to cover your bases just in case Jesus isn't real. Well, let me tell you. He says this. The God who made the world and everything in it cannot be contained by temples made by man. Before everything, there was God above all things, creating all things, providentially working all things together for good. This is the clarity that I'm speaking about because, of course, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He directs it where he wills. The clarity is important because the Bible speaks on it, and it is the hope that we cling to. Secondly, mystery. And so this leads me to the mystery of it all. With these proverbs um, and what they teach, they teach us that our hearts and the hearts of the rulers of the world are governed by God. As is clearly seen in verse, uh, chapter 21, verse one, which is our main point. Also in verse uh, chapter 16, verse nine, "The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps." And again, so clearly seen in chapter 20, verse 24. A man's steps are from the Lord. How can he then understand his own way? This is the mystery. This direction of the Lord is done powerfully, but also invisibly. God directs the hearts of all people, especially kings, without violating the nature of your own will. Yes, we're going to talk about free will this morning. Hold on to your seats. Where is this scene? I'm just going to give some examples, and I'm going to let the Bible speak for itself. We see this clearly in the story of Esther. If you're familiar with the story of Esther, I'm going to kind of synopsis for you, where we see King Asuerus and his first wife, Vashti, The king would leave his wife, and this was his decision entirely. Why would he do this? Well, quite possibly because of his pride. Also, probably the use of alcohol. Also, he wanted to look like a big shot in front of all of his friends. And in a single moment, he found himself swept away by his sin and by his decisions, and Vashti was gone. This was his choice. The choices continue, though, where his friends say, hey, let's bring all the cute girls in town and have a type of talent competition. And then we can choose one. Seems like a good idea. He says, all right, let's do that. It Sounds like a great idea. And he catches eyes with Esther. This is where it all changes for him. And it is his choice to put his focus and attention and favor on Esther. It was also his decision to have his people read to him as he slept. And in all of his decisions, what was the final outcome? What was the purpose of the story? What, what happened? Well, if you remember the story, and if you don't know the story, I'd encourage you to read the book of Esther. It was the hanging of Haman and the exaltation of Mordecai. That's what happened. All of this for what? Why did this happen? Simple. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. That is only one example. Here, here's another example. Nebuchadnezzar. We all know Nebuchadnezzar. This man was incredibly cruel. All but destroyed the people of God, literally dragging the people of Israel, into Babylon, who thought of himself the best thing since sliced bread and made giant chocolate bunny statues in his likeness. (laughs) If you think that some of the current politicians today resemble even closely to Nebuchadnezzar, you would be completely wrong. And so, there's not even a contest. He was the cruelest. But nonetheless, we read the words of the Lord in Jeremiah 25, 9, about Nebuchadnezzar, where he says, Nebuchadnezzar is my servant. You're telling me this cruel ruler who has no regard for life is your servant? Yes. Yes. And similarly, in Romans 9, 17, for the Scripture says to Pharaoh, this is about Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that in my name might be proclaimed among all the earth. How is this possible? Because the king's heart is a stream of water. This is the mystery God does not destroy our wills, our freedoms. It is God that authors us with choice, and yet the outcome of all things is of the Lord. Even when the inclinations of Nebuchadnezzar or the king or the president or your loved ones even are completely corrupt, and their motives are evil, he still makes them instruments of his divine pleasure and ministers of His divine providence. That is the glory of God. It is why we can read the story of Joseph, and at the end, at the the climax of all that has happened in Joseph's life, and he sits there on the throne in Egypt, sitting in front of his brothers, he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Now, one of the best ways To understand this and bridge the gap here is to ask the question, how does this work with Jesus? Well, if you want to turn someplace, you can turn to Acts 4, verses 24 to 26. He says this, sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said to the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed one. You're like, what's that have to do with anything? He's quoting. He's quoting Psalm 2. Word for word. In other words, what he's doing here is he says these people are going to oppose this king and kill him. And this is what happened. This is exactly what happened. Herod, Pilate, the Gentiles, and all of Israel plotted evil against the Lord. And we read further in verse 8, and verse 28. What's the purpose? To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Right here is both the clarity and the mystery that we read in the Proverbs as seen so clearly in 21.1 that the exercise of the rebellious heart was a choice of the rulers in that day and of all the people, and yet set forward the plan of salvation for those same people who killed God that they would come to know Him. They would know him. That's the gospel. That's everything for us, for you and I. That is the providential work of God in all of its manifestation and glory. And it's because of this reality of clarity and mystery that we can have such certainty about the work of our Lord Jesus. It is your birthright and my birthright if you know Jesus Christ this morning. Those who know Christ can rest with certainty that the Lord really does have the whole world in His hand, as we sang when we were children. That even when the wicked flourish, Even when fear assails, even when all things look bleak, even when the dark seems to have overcome, even when cancer sets in, even when relationships fail, even when you lose a family member, a spouse, a friend, even when you are disheartened, and when things are so out of joint. Certainty. Certainty that God is in it. The words of Thomas Watson, a Puritan preacher, I really like the Puritans. I do. They say big words, and Tim knows I like big words. In his book, The Body of Divinity, he says this about the providence of God. He says, Suppose you were in a smith's shop, that's a blacksmith, and should see there are several sorts of tools. Some crooked, some bowed, others hooked. Would you condemn all these things because they don't look handsome to you? The smith makes use of them all for his work. Thus it is with the providence of God. They seem to us to be very crooked and strange, yet they carry all of God's work. What is this work? What is God's work? His glory and our good. What is that good? Making us more like Jesus. That is the good. That is the good. We read passages and say, well, God works together good for all those who love God. I want to make something abundantly clear. When you go to heaven, there's nothing better than Jesus. We don't do this for eternal rewards, our eternal reward is Jesus. He's the best. Everything is not even on the same stratosphere. He is the only thing that matters. That's why we do the things we do at this church. That's why we do the things we do in the global community, because Jesus is all in all. He's the one thing. When we say stuff like that, we usually mean that the blessings will come in due time. Oh, well, just keep your chin up and, you know, God will bless you. The blessing is, is, is the reality that you're in. It is the hardship because he's refining you. He's shaping you. He's molding you into the image of his son Jesus. that is the good this is in romans chapter 8 verse 29 so in all all the crooked things all the strange things all the ecclesiastical nature of things all the frustrating things all the hurtful things we are as paul said in the corinthians being transformed into the image and the likeness of our lord jesus Or as we read in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 16 to 18, therefore we don't give up hope, even though our outer man is being destroyed, our inner man is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing in us an absolutely incomparable weight of eternal glory so we don't focus on the things that are seen but what is unseen. For what is seen is transient, but what is unseen is eternal. This is everything. The Lord's eternal purpose for us is that we might be like Jesus, His one and only Son, His experiential purpose, that is, in all of life's situations, that He would make us more like Jesus. And when we come to that final day, when we meet Him face to face, we can say, as the scriptures tell us, when we see Him, we will be like Him. How do I know that these things are true? How do I know that they're purposeful? How do I know that they're eternal? Because we know that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you We come to you in all of life, in all of our victories in life, in all of our troubles and our cares in life, that you would do a work in us that would transform us more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus. That we would see it, that that would be our aim, that Jesus, we run, as Paul says, beating our bodies into submission, running for the prize that is Jesus Christ. He's the imperishable wreath. And so this morning, in all of life situations and all of what is happening among us and in us and to us and for us, whether good or evil, that you remind us of this truth, that you're in it, you're working, you're willing, you're purposing making us more like your Son so that we can serve one another and serve you. We thank you and praise you for all of these things in your name. Amen.